0: Good afternoon, we are here gathered together to mourn and celebrate the life and testimony of Jeb Brewer. Would you please join with me in prayer? Oh, Lord God, you are good. You are good in giving Jeb to us, to his family, to this church, this city. And Lord, even as you take him, you are good. And Lord, we mourn and we grieve. We suffer and we sorrow. And yet we know that Jeb is with you, that his suffering is over. We know that he is with the Lord. And so, Lord, as we attempt feebly to give tribute and honor to the grace that you ministered consistently through Jeb to to us. We pray that you would give grace to us, so that we would, in some faint way, um, lift up a fitting praise to you, a fitting thanksgiving, a fitting lament. Lord, I just pray that you would comfort those who are grieving, and that you would open the eyes of the blind to see the light of the glory of your gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that's Jeb's greatest desire, Lord be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to enter into a time where the family of Jeb are going to share some memories. I'd like to begin by reading something Jeb's sister Kathleen wrote. Today, we are here to grieve, to remember, to celebrate Jeb Brewer. His earthly journey has ended. Jeb knows Jesus as his Savior, and Jeb still lives. He lives in glory, redeemed by the grace of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. When his life with us on this earth ended, Jeb is welcomed by our Heavenly Father into a perfect place, free from pain, free from suffering, and free from the constraints of this world. We know Jeb is in the presence of our Lord, and yet we, are still wholly human, we grieve. For those who had the privilege to know him, Jeb filled a place in each of our lives during his time here. That is why we are all gathered, to be with and support those who knew him best, those who are his beloved and dearest, and those who loved him longest. My name is Jim
1: Brewer, and dad's oldest son, and I just have a, a short memory I wanted to share. Um, not always very good at remembering funny stories out of thin air about dad, though. Uh, if you ask family members, he certainly has plenty of goofy and sassy moments in his life. But I can tell you one thing I remember in his life, one thing that's impossible to forget, and, and I know he would rather I remember this than any um, funny or fond story, and that's his hope that I was in Christ. In late 2011, after finding out that the cancer had come back for his fourth diagnosis uh, and surgery wasn't an option, he called me on the phone, and while we were talking he said that he hoped his entire life had demonstrated the exhortation of king david to his son solomon and it was his desire and charge for me and my brother and the other kids in the book of second kings chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 when david's time to die drew near he commanded solomon his son saying i'm about to go the way of all the earth be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the lord your god walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. This is the charge that dad can leave because he taught and was an example to us kids on how to walk in the way of the Lord. And as so many of you saw in his life, he did so up to the very end. He continued to serve the church and the elder board, to serve mom, to share God's love, uh, even on his way to hospice, discharging the duties God had given him all the way up to the very end, knowing that it still mattered as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.
2: I'm Mike Brewer, Jeb's brother. There are many things that Jeb did well, and one was being a good teacher. So he's my younger brother, I learned a lot from my brother. And one of his passions in his teaching, he taught so the eyes of souls could learn about the Lord they loved. Jeb was excellent in his teaching. He used an analogy, comparison, and contrast. He did very well with that. Jeb taught me something this, uh, this past year, a conversation. And he was telling me, he said, look at Saul. And David, he said, Saul, was actually a pretty good guy. You look through the scriptures, and he didn't have any gross moral failing, but he failed in a procedure of a ceremonial law. Compare that to David. David was a murderer, an adulterer. God cast aside Saul, but he loved David. He said, what is that? Saul was not humble. Jeb was trying to tell me he had a hard heart to the Lord. And he was sorry for things that he did, but he didn't think he sinned against God. And Saul made excuses. But Jeb was telling me, but David, though a broken man, he was broken before the Lord. He was grieved he had sinned against God. And he compared Saul. Saul was blaming others. Yet David owned his sin and turned to God. Jeb, our friend, our brother in Christ, loved people and loved the Lord. He loved to teach others of the Lord he loved. And he saw this great contrast in the Bible of how God sees our heart. Jeb was teaching me, he said, look at Saul, a seemingly self-sufficient and successful man. And when we get like that, we can become lost. But a broken-hearted sinner runs the Lord will be saved. Jeb loved the Lord, my friend, my brother in the Lord. He loved to teach, to help others to follow Christ. Let's go on.
3: My name is Jen Palmquist and I'm the youngest of the four kids. And mom, I know you in speech class. You taught me to have eye contact while speaking, but this isn't speech class. So I'm just going to keep my eyes on the paper and I don't plan to look up. God is so good, and he has lavished his grace upon our family. It's hard to know what to say today because I feel like there are too many things to say, and I praise God that we will have eternity to praise God for all that he has done. My dad's life and all that God has done simply cannot be fully shared in a few short minutes, but I pray that your hearts and eyes would see the glory of God, that you would not look at my dad or our family and give glory to us. We deserve nothing good. And yet God has demonstrated his love towards us through Jesus, and we are recipients of his mercy. I pray that the few things that I share would cause you to see the worth and beauty of Jesus. Over the last year, and particularly the last few months and weeks, I had the privilege and opportunity to spend a lot of time with Dad. Through that time with Dad, several things were so clear to me. As Dad's pain increased, and his suffering went on, the sweetness of the gospel and God's unmerited grace towards Dad became that much sweeter. That in Dad's life, all that truly matters comes back to Jesus. And as time drew even closer to the end, how very much Dad wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. This past week, one of my favorite memories of Dad is centered around water. Dad's pain from the cancer made even drinking water painful. Sometimes he said that after one drink of water, he could hurt for maybe 15 minutes and it was hard to get fluids down. That last week, Dad definitely had a thirstiness that enabled him to drink water. and He told me how good the water tasted, and you could see the physical satisfaction and relief it gave him. That thought prompted him to think about how Jesus satisfies our thirst and how all of our thirst will be fully satisfied in the presence of God. Dad so longed to see Jesus. When we entered hospice Wednesday night, that was really the last time that Dad was able to clearly and fully communicate with us. By Thursday, he was not speaking or showing many signs of alertness, and due to being unable to really drink and sleeping with his mouth open, his mouth was getting very dry. So we started swabbing his mouth with sponges dipped in water or another solution and repeatedly applying chapstick. Even though Dad wasn't speaking or really looking at us, You could tell his mouth was thirsty as his lips seemed to savor the drops of fluid. This was a care that I was involved in a lot and it really became a special time. As I would swab his mouth, would think about how dad was physically being satisfied and how good it tasted but then how soon he would be fully spiritually satisfied and how good god is so i would talk to dad about it as i moistened his mouth dad's job his health his money his reputation none of it was satisfying only jesus could satisfy him dad has drunk from the will of living water that has no cost And he has been satisfied with living water, and I am so thankful to God for all that God has done. The last hour or so with Dad was so special. Jim, Jared, Janelle, Mom, Meredith, Claire, and myself all sat around his bed, silently praying and watching him breathe, every breath labored and slow. We were watching death take place, but we were also watching the grace and power of God in action. We are told in the Bible that the Bible is the Word of God and that it is living and active. Oh how that is so true, and how I saw the effect of its acting in those moments. We had peace. Peace that passed understanding. Yes, we had sorrow. I would lie to you if I said it didn't hurt deeply. It is and was so painful. But in the midst of joy was and is or in the midst of that pain was and is joy. Joy in who God is. Joy in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Joy in knowing that his pain was not separating Dad from the love of God. Joy in knowing that shortly Dad would be in the presence of God, the very place that Dad was looking forward to. In that moment, death and cancer appeared to be strong and winning, but I am here to tell you they lost. Death did not have the victory. Death was defeated at the cross of Jesus. Jesus tasted death for my dad. Dad's cancer was under the sovereignly good hand of God, and while it looked to be working death in him, his physical death was the passageway through which dad was given true life. It is not death to die for those whose hope is in Christ, and I praise God for that. Right now, in this moment, my dad is seeing God in the fullness of glory, free from pain, free from the power, presence, and penalty of sin. The thought of dad worshiping Jesus is so sweet. Dad's longing for heaven, his continual giving of glory to God in his pain, in his suffering, has given me a greater longing for heaven, a greater longing for God, a greater longing to behold his face in glory. I pray that God would work the same in your hearts. Yes, we are weeping and mourning deeply for the loss of Dad, and I know that will continue for some time. But by God's grace and his grace alone, we are praising him for all that God has done. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Revelation 21, 1 through 6.
4: My name is Jared Brewer, and I'm dad's other son, if you didn't pick it out. (laughs) But yeah, I probably won't be uh, making too much eye contact either, but deal with it. Um, I decided not to talk uh, like the others, strictly about how great dad was. I'm not going to try to avoid it, but Probably most of you already know, and if not, someone here today will quickly enlighten you. Um, Dad was not just an engineer, but a storyteller too. So I figured I should continue with the tradition and tell about uh, one fun time we had together uh, during a trip to Colorado. Jim was uh, about to leave uh, for college in the fall, and uh, I was 16 that summer, so Dad decided we should have a man trip. (laughs) Doesn't get too bad. (laughs) We just had never had the opportunity yet because uh, Dad had always spent his vacation time uh, every year doing his Air Force reserve duty in Colorado. And uh, he was a pretty hard worker, if you hadn't noticed. So he thought we should go back to Colorado now that he was done with the Air Force and we could actually have some time to do some stuff together. So in the time-honored tradition of Dad's, he loaded up his trusty minivan and uh, got it ready. I'm nearly positive that he checked Uh, each of the tire pressures, the oil and the wiper fluid, and if there was blinker fluid, he'd probably check that too, (laughs) just to be sure. That was his checklist for road trips. After all, he was pretty practical, if you hadn't noticed. Thankfully, I am still less practical, and I was more persuasive uh, when the time came to buy snacks, so we ended up with a box of candy and beef jerky, and uh, that worked out pretty well. The drive out there was pretty uneventful and precisely at the speed limit because Mom wasn't there to drive. Yeah, I figured you guys knew too. But Dad was pretty careful if you hadn't noticed. We drove uh, deep into the mountains, we went whitewater rafting, rode a train through the Whorl Gorge, and hiked to a mountain lake that week. But the main event was the Ascent and Conquest of Mount Yale, which is one of Colorino's, Colorado's uh, 14ers. And um, just to be clear, 14,000 feet is quite a bit steeper than Iowa and <laughs> in some places. So Dad bought some hiking boots and he trained. He, uh, he broke them in by hiking deep into the wilderness of Grays Lake Park uh, in downtown Des Moines. <laughs> because, uh, as you may know, Dad was a planner if you hadn't noticed. He also scheduled a hike on our last day so we wouldn't be sore for all the other earlier activities because, you see, Dad really was a planner if you still hadn't noticed. Like some other people um, in our family, like all of us. We woke up that day at five and started the mountain by six. We made uh, really good progress for a couple miles up to the tree line where the air starts to really thin out. It took most of the morning and most of Dad's energy. It had been a few years since his first round of cancer, so I suppose he really had no excuse for his condition other than Mom's good cooking. (laughs) But uh, I've heard that surgery and chemotherapy can mess you up for quite a while. So I guess Dad was actually pretty tough, if you hadn't noticed. By the time we reached the saddle of the slope, which was just at the base of the summit where the trail uh, started to turn to large boulders. Dad had had enough. Um, He told Jim and me to go on without him because... um, Jennifer kind of cried, so... (laughs) He told us to, just to go on without him because at least and we could see the summit and uh, that'd be good for us. Um, he said he would stay behind and he would keep the large heavy rucksack, rucksack that was stuffed with uh, all the emergency supplies mom had made us pack. <laughs> but somehow I ended up carrying for all of us the entire time <laughs> until dad wanted to sit on a rock and carry it graciously for me. Dad wasn't stupid if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> Not lazy, but definitely not stupid. So he wanted to relieve me of that burden so nicely and rest instead of risking falling down the sheer cliffs as we scrambled over the uh, car-sized boulders all the way to the top. Dad thought that, uh, in his practical mind, dad thought that if we fell, at least one of us would be left for mom because (laughs) I think we had that discussion. Because you see, dad loved mom a whole lot if you hadn't noticed which you should have, because it's pretty obvious. But uh, Jim and I, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have none of that, so Dad needed to reach the summit. This was our only man trip, and we have been planning this hike for far too long to let Dad's exhaustion uh, ruin what he'd been looking forward to so much. So after much name-calling, cajoling, and just calling him old and fat, we convinced him. <laughs> It worked. Dad always needed a little bit of snarkiness and sarcasm. He had quite the sense of humor if you hadn't noticed. So together we climbed over massive rocks and inched along narrow ledges for much longer than we had expected even as the uh, day continued on to the uh, inevitable Colorado afternoon thunderstorms. Some moments were fairly, fairly harrowing and Dad was truly scared a few times. because, you see, he was still a human if you hadn't noticed. But really, he was. (laughs) Finally, we reached the top with some time to spare before the storms. It was uh, very quiet, very peaceful, and Dad was just able to take it all in with us. And he admitted we were right, and he was very glad he came. And I know because the pictures from the summit and the map of our hike sat on his desk until the day he stopped working. So I know he considered it worth the energy, which was a considerable amount as evidenced by our return to the hotel and subsequent gorging on sonic hamburgers and a day-long coma, (laughs) but that's what it was worth to Dad to spend time with his sons, because Dad did anything for his family, if you hadn't noticed. This is just one story in 53 years worth of stories, and most of those other stories aren't about reaching a summit, but... They're about a man who loves God. They're about a man who pointed to him through the end. And that, I'm sure, you really did notice.
0: Jeb Brewer was an amazing, amazing man. I've been serving at this church um, coming up on nine years. During that entire time, Jeb has been one of the elders serving, working here. Most recently, over the last two or three years, he served as the chairman of the elders. And one of the amazing things that I got to witness is how Jeb, as his body, his health deteriorated, just kept pouring himself out for his family and pouring himself out for this church. He'd show up to elder meetings. And just when everything else in his life that was optional had been ended, he was still coming here, serving this body, serving this people. Absolutely incredible. And yes, Jeb was an engineer in the truest sense. He was a planner. And so this morning, or this afternoon, Jeb has chosen my text (laughs) and a number of my points. It's the truth. It's the truth. Absolutely, it's the truth. So he he wanted me to read and speak on an event in John 11, probably one of the better known events in Scripture, the death and resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus' friend. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, although we'll make some references from it, but I want to read probably the central passage for my point this afternoon, John 11, 17 to 27. Now, at this point, Jesus has heard word that Lazarus is sick, Lazarus his friend, and Jesus, rather than returning immediately, just the clear implication of the message, come quick, He stays a few more days. Lazarus dies. And he does return. We read this in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, you know that eventually Jesus goes to the tomb and they roll the stone away and he weeps and he calls Lazarus forth and Lazarus is raised. I just want to find three words for us in this. Three words from the Lord for us. There's a a hard word here for us. There's a comforting word here for us. And I believe there's a word of life here for us. But let's start start with the hard word. It's, It's inescapable in John's telling. In the narrative itself, and on the, the lips of those who interact with Jesus. And, and see, it's the, it's the question no one actually says, but it's just ringing through this passage. Jesus, why did you delay? Why didn't you show up in time, Jesus? John, John tells it in a way that we can't miss it. Listen to verse 3. His sisters, Lazarus' sisters, sent to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And I think the reader is supposed to be shocked by that. That's not what we would expect. So wouldn't we assume that if someone loves you, if someone cares for you, they're going they're to come, they're going to help in case we missed it there, on Martha's lips is the implied question. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus encounters her sister, Mary, a little later in the passage, in verse 32, she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Unless we miss it, the crowd even says as Jesus draws near, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And so the question is why? Why why would a loving Messiah do this? And we know what that's like too, requesting from the Lord over over a decade. Many of us have been praying, beseeching the Lord, Lord, come, heal heal Jeb. Right, and the Lord's answer ultimately was no. There's no to Mary and Martha, and whereas He gave Jeb an unusual length of time with His disease, going far beyond and off any charts of expectation. Oh, there was, there was such grace there. Even as recently as weeks and months ago, we were praying, Lord, heal him. said no that's a hard word and and Jesus his explanation is crucial for us to get Jesus' explanation for this and the text states it clearly in verse 4 Jesus loved them whatever this is whatever this is it's not cruelty it's not callousness it is an expression of love Jesus' answer verse 4 and verse 40 is this. This illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Later, as Jesus draws near to the tomb, Martha is again with him. He said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus' answer and what he's doing in love for Lazarus and Martha and Mary, and what he's doing in love here, is giving us something better than we know to ask for. He knows that the glory of God revealed to them, the glory of God captured in Scripture, encouraging and strengthening God's people for nearly 2,000 years, would bring greater joy greater glory to God and eternally greater satisfaction to Mary, Martha, Lazarus than the thing which they asked. That is a hard word. The apostle Paul learned it in 2 Corinthians. He had a thorn or a spear through his flesh and he cried out to God three times that it might be taken from him. And God's answer to him also was no. But with the no, he said this, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now for those of you who knew Jeb, knew Jeb as he suffered through this illness, was not God's power perfected and demonstrated and visibly manifest through Jeb's weakness. You've heard it. You've heard the testimonies of the children and his brother. You've seen it if you knew him. Jeb glorified God in a way through his suffering and through his trial. And and Linda and the family, as they did not curse God, but rather entrusted themselves to a faithful creator, has brought more glory, more encouragement, and has had a greater impact in the world around them, I believe, than had that not happened. That God has given them a hard thing. He's given us a hard thing. This Make no doubt, this is a hard word. He has given us a good thing. It is for the glory of God. As I was talking to the family members getting ready for this funeral, that was the one thing I heard from at least three of them. We just just want God glorified in this. This is what Jeb would want. Jeb wants God glorified in his funeral. See, Jeb didn't resist. Jeb, Jeb embraced this. He understood more than anyone that God could have saved him, God could have taken the cancer away, and God did not. And Jeb was not bitter about that. He accepted it. It was a hard word from the Lord, but he accepted it. And he glorified God in it. There's it also a comforting word. It's not just hard words. There's a comforting word. Christ grieves with us. And has fully entered into our suffering. As much as this text makes it clear that Jesus intentionally delays, Jesus intentionally lets Lazarus die text is also emphatic about his love and compassion for them. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then as Jesus draws near to the tomb, listen to this account, verse 33 to 38. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And then a little later, Jesus deeply moved again and came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. The same text that reveals a Messiah who can demonstrate love in ways that can sometimes be hard to receive. Demonstrates a Messiah who is filled with compassion, a Messiah who sympathizes. Like, understand this if God gives us a hard word, if God gives us difficulty in our life, He is not callous. He weeps with us. Jesus is weeping here. So, yes, He planned this. Yes, He brought this about. And yes, His heart is breaking too, His tears are falling too. Jesus wept, and it's not theater. I think he he understood the, the brokenness of it even more. Remember that death was not part of God's original plan and design. Death is an alien. Death is the intruder. Jesus wept. His friend had died. What should not have happened according to the original purpose of this world had And not only had death entered, but grief and suffering and pain and tears. And Jesus shed tears with them in solidarity with them. But think about this. Jesus came into this world... And fully entered into our suffering and fully entered into our pain and our grief. The eternal God who had never known pain, who had never known an unmet desire, who had never known cold or hunger or tiredness, became a man fully and truly. And he had to rub elbows with people like us, which must not have been pleasant. And he lived a life, but why, what was that life headed towards? It was headed towards death, wasn't it? It was the child born to die. That was the purpose. He became mortal so that he could die. And why does he die? Jen Jen read the passage earlier. I'll read it now. 1 Corinthians 15. He died to swallow up death in victory. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and mortality puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Understand this. Jesus gave a difficult answer for Mary and Martha and Lazarus to hear, but it was all while accomplishing a mission that would put an end to funerals once and for all. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that death would no longer reign. Now, that that has not fully accomplished, and it will not be fully accomplished until he returns. Obviously, men and women still die. But embedded in this text is the principle that Jesus... Really does care. He cares so much, he's willing to die to stop things like this from having to ever happen. He truly cares. Moreover, than that, him raising Lazarus a few verses later is actually the event in John's gospel that ensures Jesus' own death. In John's gospel, the miracles, those acts which his opponents could not refute or deny, are what really instigate the opposition. They don't like him, but As long as people aren't taking him too seriously, he's not a problem. But after he raises Lazarus from the dead, verse 53 of John 11, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So Jesus is going to raise Lazarus. And in doing so, he's going to seal his own fate But we have a comforting word, a Savior who cares. And there's a mystery there. I don't know if Martha and Mary understood that. We, the readers, see all that's going on. Certainly in the moment, they're just filled with grief. They're filled with anguish. And a confidence in the sovereignty of God which you've heard testified to by Jeb's family does not remove the pain, nor should it. A confidence that God knows what he's doing doesn't remove the tears. Our Savior wept, and we do well to weep as well, even while we acknowledge the Lord was good. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, finally then, I want to look at a word of life. In John's John's Gospel, the, the miracles of Jesus signs. The first one referenced, this is one of the insights Jeb gave to me that I'd never pieced together. John's gospel contains Jesus' first miracle. He says that this, his first sign, his first miracle, and it's at a wedding. And Jesus' last miracle before the cross is at a funeral. That's something, isn't it? Jeb pointed that out to me. I was like, oh, wow. And all of Jesus' miracles point to a spiritual reality. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he says, I am the bread of life. And Jesus heals the man by the pool, and he says, I am the father of one. And, and this miracle, too, the raising of Lazarus, points to something else, something more important, something more important. I want to read the account in, in, of, the, of the raising. He says, I am the resurrection and the life to Martha. She says, I know, speaking of Lazarus, he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, that's the the issue. The miracle, raising of Lazarus, is what confirms and points to that reality. That reality right there, I'm going to read it again, is the crucial bit. Because Lazarus gets raised, and it's wonderful, and everyone's happy. But he dies again. And everyone living back then is is now dead. They all died. So for Lazarus, there's a delay. He gets to come back, and he probably wasn't even too pleased about that. Um, (laughs) But Mary and Martha were. His friends were. And he's, he's dead. They all are. And Jesus points Martha to the crucial issue. His claim of his identity. Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Meaning, I am the principal. I'm the one who grants life. I'm the one who raises life. I'm the one who accomplishes the resurrection. I'm the one who gives resurrection. Jesus is, in every full sense, the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on to say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jeb Brewer though he has died, lives. Because he believed in Jesus. Then Jesus turns to Martha and says, do you believe this? He says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I know with all my heart that that is the question Jeb wants me to point towards you. How do I know it? Because he lived it on the ambulance ride to the hospice, he was sharing his, his faith. The ambulance workers were trying to change the topic, talk about sports. He was like, no, no, that's not important. He was talking about Jesus. They were trying to point to, they are talking about some sports shirt he had on. He's like, I quote, that's just the shirt I put on so I can throw up on. Let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> Jeb was emphatic as we were talking to make this point out. The question that, that Jesus Asks Martha is is the question the text is asking you. It's it's really simple. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He's fully God. He's fully man. He, He does all the things we ought to have done. And then on the cross, he gets punished for our sin, our wrongdoing. All of us are corrupt, sinful. We're not good people who do bad things. We're bad people who do what we want. Through and through. And he he takes God's punishment for us and he drinks down the cup of death to the last dregs. And he dies. And three days later, he rises again. And based on that life and that death, he can say to Martha, and I can say to you, and he can say through this text to you, whoever believes in me, Jesus, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's, that's the only real question that matters. It's The only real question that matters. You heard it from the family. That's the only question that matters to them. When you come to a funeral, you can't escape the reality that we're all headed for a box like this. You can delay it, you can, you can work out and get in shape and add a couple of years on, but you're all headed to this box. And you can distract yourselves from that reality, but you're all headed for this box. And yet here is a promise, that though you die, yet you shall live. And that promise was backed up by many signs and miracles, not least of which the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And shortly after saying this, he does raise Lazarus. And I just want to close this section by reading that. Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. That's a wonderful miracle. But there's a far greater miracle that, that is on the table, offered to you, offered to me, that, that true life, a life that doesn't end as flashy and as, as, as impressive as this miracle is, it, it, it passes away. Lazarus is dead. Yet the promise of life unending is the far greater miracle bought at a far greater price. And I know Jeb, Emphatic on this point. The family has been emphatic on this point. Their greatest desire is that you would come to bow your knees to the living Christ, that you would come to believe in this Messiah, that you would trust him as your Lord and Savior, and that you would know life everlasting, so that if you die, you would yet live. And while you live, you would live the life that is true. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask you now to take your word and give the increase that you would not let it fall on hard soil, but that you might open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears, that you would encourage your children that you would bring much glory to yourself. Lord, speak life over the hearts of the men and women who are here today, Lord God. Speak life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we want to see you with eyes of faith. We We want the reality of who you are and what you have promised to be sweeter and to be brighter, and to be more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. Oh, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness in giving Jeb to us, ministering again and again through him. Oh, Lord, now console and comfort and strengthen us and his family as we grieve his loss. And Lord, fill us with the hope that we will behold you face to face, and we will again be in the company and fellowship of Jeb Brewer, worshiping the Lamb of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As soon as the family is dismissed, the ushers will come and and dismiss you, and you are all invited to a dinner that will be downstairs in the gymnasium. Please make your way directly there. Upon entering, enter the food lines and get some food. The family wants to have more fellowship with you. We thank you for coming. We thank you for loving and knowing Jeb.